Hey, family. Welcome back to Love & Grit. It's your favorite podcast host. My name is Laia. I'm Justin. And I'm Rachel. In today's episode, we continue diving into the phenomenal women of Philly. This time, two ladies with very different missions. Deborah Powell Wright is on a mission to uplift and amplify black and brown women's stories through their writing. Kiki Arnita is on a mission to amplify awareness of the multicultural diaspora that comes together through Hawaiian food. Yum and let's go. But first, a round of Philly faves. Today's topic favorite female literary leader in Philadelphia. Ooh, that sounds fancy. It is, but it's Philly, so it's pretty too. You go first, Rach. I am definitely choosing Ursula Rucker. Her work is amazing. She is well known for several years, whether it's because of speaking about social justice, Black culture, sisterly love. So yes, Ursula Rucker for all the realness. And all those Roots albums. Yes, yes. (laughs) Who you got, Justin? I'm going with Jennifer Weiner. She started as an Inquirer columnist, and I used to love her column back in the day. I guess I'm dating myself a little bit, but she went on to become a huge writer of like the biggest blockbuster beach reads. And one of her books became that movie with um, Cameron Diaz in her shoes. We could not forget, of course, the mother of poetry, Sonia Sanchez, who, if you're lucky enough, I'm like, Miss Sonia still teaches at Temple, right? Yes. Wow, right. Yes. And think about it like a whole civil rights activist, poet, greatness from Dr. King to now and still Beautiful. just a gentle warrior, as I like she to call She came to my grade school and I have a vivid memory of what she was wearing, what she sounded like, her cadence. And I'm old. Like, I mean, that was a long time ago, but it's amazing that she's like still at it and like better than ever. What an amazing Philadelphia. She is, yeah. All right, well, let's get this thing started. Let's do it. Do it, baby. Some might say Deborah Powell Wright is also a 2021 griot, continuing that West African tradition of maintaining and exclaiming the histories and stories of Black people through oration, Black women specifically. She serves as a lead strategist of social justice artist advocacy collective Sister Rights. She is the founder of the multi-genre performance ensemble for Women Collective and a founding member of Philly's first female spoken word ensemble in the company of poets. And now she has gathered some of Philly's most prolific black and brown sister poets together to form Four Philly Johns, Four Women Revisited, a poetry anthology dedicated to the works of Nina Simone. This is exciting and especially during Women's History Month. To be very honest with you, this started as a healing journey for myself. I started posting haiku. In fact, I called it Sign of the Times Haiku in homage to Prince on April 22nd, which is the date that he passed. So I wrote a haiku in remembrance of Prince and for me. And also it was in response to, quite frankly, my own healing journey. My stepdaughter passed away on Thanksgiving 2019. She was 22. Mm. So talked about mourning, but in a very universal way. And then I got this idea, and I don't know where it came up, but I saw a post from one of my friends who I'd known in the poetry spoken word arena, some accolade that she had gotten. And so I decided Sunday Sister shout outs to women that had 
either mentored me, had been one of my students when I was a volunteer teacher with Temple University's Pan-African Studies Community Education Program. Oh, yeah. And so on Sundays, I started posting shout outs to women. So back to how the anthology came about, I applied for a grant from the Leeway Foundation. I had received grants before. For people who don't even understand Leeway mm-hmm. and what it does for women in the city, we should just say too, that they are a foundation that uplifts women creatives, correct? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they are the best and very supportive through the process. And I can't say enough about Leeway. The idea that I got, I thought I would do a coffee table, hardback cover book of these women that I was celebrating on Sundays. I didn't get that grant. It's the luck of the draw. Huh. Well, hardback book color costs a lot of money. So the leeway grant would have really helped me to do that. Any case, the healing journey is ongoing, if you understand what I'm saying. You know, like you, mm-hmm. it never ends. It ebbs and flows. It comes and goes, you know, where you are in that. But the writing was, was helping me. So I couldn't let the idea go like, well, how can I celebrate and acknowledge these women who have been in my life and supported me in all different kinds of ways. And so that's how I came up with the idea of Philly John's Four Women Revisited. It's four women. Yes. It's it's Nina Simone. So it's four women. That's right. Okay, come on now. (laughs) Come on now. I'm with you, sis. Can you break it down for other people that don't know? So this anthology, Imagining the Black Female Body, Reconciling Image in Print and Visual Culture by Carol E. Henderson. She put out a call for papers in, I guess it was 2009. I wanted to be published as not just a poet, because again, my leaning was more toward writing. I enjoyed writing. So I submitted an essay. Here's how the inspiration came. I was with my husband, we were in the car and he was playing Talib Kweli. And Talib Kweli also has a song called Four Women, spelled Hmm. F-O-R. And I was like, whoa, who is that? That's dope. You know, because of course I already know Nina Simone's four women, F-O-U-R. So that was the inspiration to talk about women and perception and the fact that he's a male and she's a woman and how we view these women. And because, of course, his version is a contemporary version when he talks about the four different women. And so that was actually the basis of my essay and that I got published before I got the 2012 Leeway Foundation grant. How did you pick Nina Simone as a subject? I picked Nina Simone just because I had heard that voice. I had heard four women in particular, and four women resonates strongly for black and brown women, of course, you know, because the content of it is about the reaction to our different skin tones and our different textures of hair. So Mm -hmm. black, brown, tan, and yellow. Those are the four women. You know, my skin is black, my arms are long, my hair is woolly, my back is strong, strong enough to take the plane, inflict it again and again and again. What do they call me? What do they call me? What do they call (laughs) call me? me. Okay. (laughs) And Talib Kweli, I mean, you know, as rappers will do, they have a little bit of language we can't say, but I mean to tell you, you have got to listen to it. Okay. Deborah, you bringing that up, and I'm so happy you did. Let's talk about 
what spoken word means to you and why it's so important in our culture. And especially when it gives the opportunity to talk about oppression and justice and things that oftentimes we don't have open conversations. So I'm curious, why is spoken word so important and so relevant to our cultures? You're asking the question, and at the same time, you've given us the answer already, Mm -hmm. because we often don't have these conversations. It is a way to listen, to hear each other in, in a way that may be more palatable for some of us, because it's more of an opportunity for a wider range of people to listen to the singular theme of the conversation when we talk about race. We can talk about it from the perspective of Sidney Brown, who is our youth poet laureate, who is in this collection. Or we can talk about it from the perspective of Nzinga Sali L, who is 70 years old, and she is in this collection. So poetry and, you know, which is a little different than spoken word because of the performance part. But if you will, I think it just allows us and more of us, in fact, to have an opportunity to listen to each other in places, especially when it's written, when we may not feel comfortable, you know, like you may not feel comfortable in going to Club Impulse at Broad <laughs> and Erie, like I did back in the day. Yo, I, I love it. You kind of just said that like spoken word is like the baby between poetry and hip hop. Yes. I read an article some years ago where Sonia Sanchez was called the grandmother of hip hop. So, you know, the synergy between that. And of course, Mm -hmm. you know, she's written a poem about Tupac Shakur, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's linkages in how those who are really into the written word and understand all that that means in the much broader sense and making it poetic and palatable and recognize that connection. When we had Janine Cook on from Harriet's Bookshop, she's featured in it. And I know that was going to be one of the locations. So where can people purchase Philly John's? Absolutely right now. I have a few copies left. So it's really through emailing me. But also it will be on Amazon for purchase. And Janine and I have already talked about making it available at Harriet's Bookshop. I would say by the beginning of April, which is Poetry Month. Yes. Poetry and Jazz Month. I love that. Oh, okay. So that's. You want to read a little something for us? Oh, please. I will share with you. Well, I'll just give you a little snippet of what I did yesterday. Okay. I'm wearing my womanhood from the inside out because I met myself through the eyes of my ancestors. All my beige bamboo to tree bark dark daughters, all my sisters who mothered me, smothered me with their eyes of let there be peace. They told me the truth of healing my hurt when my soul spoke wounds of perceived love lost. Let me know that wishing won't wake me up, shake me loose, or let my spirit flow. Showed me the shape of faith, the face of courage, the body of wisdom, which would make me whole like them. So now I hear myself speaking my mother's tongue. Beautiful. I'll say amen on that. And snap, Listen, snap, 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 snap. <laughs> Okay, hers new fire potato chips and cheese curls. They are spicy. Whew, they're hottest snacks yet. Hold on. 
But you know, it's not just heat. There's some nice, sweet, and savory stuff going on too. Ooh, there's that heat again. It burns, but it burns so tasty. Ooh, that's hot. Find Hearst Fire Snacks at your store today. Ooh, taste the flavor, feel the heat, break out the Hearst. Kiki Aranita has made history in Philadelphia. Can you believe she was the first to introduce local cooking of Hawaii to Philly in the form of her restaurant, Poi Dog? And we aren't talking about your typical pokey spot. We are talking the best spot. Poi Dog has won Time Out Philadelphia's Best Restaurant 2018, Philadelphia Magazine's Best Fried Chicken 2017, and Philadelphia Magazine's Best Food Truck 2014. But keep it real. What do you really know about Hawaiian food and all the cultures that come together for it? I mean, fried chicken and sushi great fish? Do you know good pokey when you see it? And now Kiki has a way of us to take it home? Where do we start? So many questions. Am I even saying pokey right? I do have some family members who grew up saying pokey, but it is poke. Poke, see, okay. Poke, final answer, got it. (laughs) (laughs) So you've had a very exciting run recently. The pandemic was tough. You had a closed poi dog, which was super popular. Talk about how your pandemic journey has gone. It's been now a full year. And I mean, it started off the way that everybody else's did. We're like, we can't possibly still be doing this social distancing and temporary closing of restaurants for more than two months. We all went into this being like, it's not Mm -hmm. going to be that long. Obviously, for a lot of people, there was a lot of trauma and I feel like incredibly fortunate to be where I am right now. Like I haven't totally come out of the other side of this ordeal yet, but I'm getting there. I'm extraordinarily grateful that like I was born with this sort of tenacity for hope. And I feel that incredibly now. I see how other small businesses around me have adapted and all of these challenges in the very beginning of being closed and not making money, they seemed insurmountable just a few months ago. And now people are creative and coming up with new ways of handling guidelines. I hope that by sharing like my story, that this is an attitude that's here to stay of being adaptable in the face of great difficulty. That said, like a lot of people have asked me what it felt like to close a restaurant and especially, yeah, one that was popular and that a lot of people loved. And for a very long time, Poi Dog became like not just mine. Like, of course, I had my business partner, Chris Vaca, but after opening a restaurant in Rittenhouse and really handing over, especially like customer service um, to very capable employees who stayed with us for years. By the time we closed, we had many employees who had been with us since opening day and since the food truck days. And at that point, like closing it, it didn't really feel like mine anymore. I mean, all the tasks I had to oversee, but it wasn't just part of my memories. So many people reached out to me from around the country saying that they met their spouses at Poi Dog. Like, wow. people oh, that's special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then like still staying in touch with many of my employees and also hearing them talk about the customers that they miss. What I'm trying to say is like Poi Dog became and has been for years something that I didn't think of myself as the face of. It became part of so many other people's lives that at, at a certain point, like I let go. It wasn't really mine anymore. And yeah, I'm bringing just the name into my future. And I do have 
a personal mission of sharing my Hawaii upbringing and the food that I grew up on with other people. And that story really resonated during the pandemic. You got a ton of media coverage. I feel like there was spam stuff everywhere and Hawaiian culture, which really wasn't even that much talked about. Can we talk about the spam, Kiki? Can we talk about the spam? Mm -hmm. It's so delicious. I just, I never understood the story of how Hawaii was the one that understood the beauty of spam. I feel like Hawaii is the place. (laughs) If you say it with a whisper, just like that. (laughs) We have a lot of maligned ingredients in Hawaii that are part of like our local cuisine because we are an island chain and a lot of our food over the course of many decades was imported from the mainland. Still, the majority of our food is imported from the mainland. And a lot of these foods ingrained themselves in local culture, such as spam. Although my grandparents and my dad, they grew up primarily on like Vienna sausage. So that was their canned meat. And also like I come from a military family and many, many people in Hawaii do. You end up eating a lot of like canned American food. So in some ways, a lot of like our mentality is stuck in 1950s, like Midwestern. This is like what normal except we eat everything with rice and seaweed like if you marinate anything in soy sauce and sugar and pair it with rice and seaweed it's going to be delicious the soy sauce and sugar part is very much part of the fact that we have a lot of okinawans in hawaii and okinawans love to marinate stuff in sugar and shoyu so that's like the go-to marinade for a lot of meats in Hawaii. And yeah, like I'm personally not Okinawan, but the majority of my family is like a little bit Okinawan here and there. So shoyu and sugar like runs through our veins more than <laughs> any other marinade, I think. And yeah, try marinating in soy sauce and sugar, but not the regular spam. Use a 25% left sodium spam so it's not too salty. Do that yeah. and then come back to me about the spam. Okay. I love that she like gave us a complete recipe right now. All right, let's see. What are we So working it's with? funny you started talking about marinades because that's where you pivoted your business. Yeah, I mean, that was an accident. I feel like from afar, it seems like way more thought out than it actually was. But what happened was I had agreed to do this event at Pocono Organics and they asked me to make a dish with the ingredients from their greenhouse. It was outdoor, very, very small scale. And they sent me a whole lot of peppers and what the hell is somebody from Hawaii supposed to do with all these peppers other than make chili pepper water? And they also sent me a lot of tomatoes. And so I made lomi lomi salmon, which is a misnomer because um, it's more about the tomatoes than the salmon, I would argue, because there's more tomatoes than salmon in it. So I made lomi lomi salmon and chili pepper water because I'm from Hawaii and those are like the two main things that anybody from Hawaii would make. But I linked up with some friends who I hadn't seen, of course, like all pandemic there, and they own Burlap and Barrel, which prior to the pandemic primarily served chefs and restaurants. And then home cooks started coming out of the woodwork wanting those like extremely high quality spices that they sourced from all over the world. And so they started learning about packaging for retail and they were very quick to like pass on knowledge to me. So they were like, hey, you should bottle this chili pepper water. I was like, what? Uh, okay. And now here we are. Wow. I've never seen that in the grocery store at all. So let's go. Yeah. It's a really common condiment in Hawaii. It's like everywhere and it's typically homemade. Yeah. It's almost non-existent on the mainland. And so now I make chili pepper water. 
You've been so active in the pandemic. You've written op-eds in newspapers. You just had an amazing article in Fortune talking about how you changed your model. What keeps you going when everything's working against you? Okay, so the restaurant took many, many months to close. Like there's so much paperwork. It sucks. So even though like I felt like, yeah, Poi Dog was an entity that wasn't necessarily mine anymore, I was still unfortunately responsible for the bills and the paperwork. Um, so I'm still spending this entire year dealing with the bills, leftover paperwork, contracts and things from closing the restaurant. I hope I'm almost done now, but I'm not quite there. I'm almost there. But when that sort of came like a tidal wave of closing, I feel like I honestly like blacked out. I mean, I think a lot of people have like ways of dealing with traumatic things and certain aspects of grieving. And I think a lot of it, at least in my life, has been like, all right, so I'm going to compartmentalize this thing in my life and mm -hmm. this bit of trauma. But I'm going to be really, really productive. So I just like, I made like an entire notebook full of like lists that I had to do. And I like, powered through that. And now I can barely remember what it feels like. Like it was like this really bad dream that I powered through and now I'm waking up. Oh, mm. so no looking back. It's a good place to be, to yeah. see some, yeah. we'll see some wake hope. Up. Definitely. Do you think it'll ever come back in the form of you'll go back to your foundation of food trucking? Because it looks like mobile things is where it's going to head to. Um, yeah. I don't want to. Food trucking is very... Very, very hard. I'm in my mid thirties and I don't, I don't want to wake up at five o'clock in the morning anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. So then will you just dive into more sauces? Will we get more than just the chili pepper water? Well, there's, there's a Maui lavender ponzu and I am developing. Oh, yeah. And now I'm developing like a larger line of sauces with one of my distributors. So yeah, there will be more stuff to come. I hope, I hope if everything works out, but I don't feel the need to like rush into anything right now. Oh, good. I read a quote from you. It was something about Hawaii and how people really don't understand the breakdown of cultures there. And I really wanted you to kind of explain to people all the different cultures that encompass, at least into your food, but into the culture of Hawaii. Yes. Uh, so Hawaiian is a race. It's mm -hmm. an ethnicity. And it's often misunderstood, often thanks to things like Hawaiian pizza. We just eat pineapple. Like, we don't put it, like, on things. Like, we don't, That's like... messed up. We don't cook with the pineapple. We just eat the pineapple. Like, it's fine the way it is. It's like you don't have to do anything to it because it's a perfectly good fruit. Just eat the fruit. So the background of Hawaii's food, I always say Hawaii's food because in Hawaii it's called local food. And it's very, very confusing to say local food because in Hawaii, local food primarily refers to food that's not originally from the place. Right. <laughs> so local food refers to the food brought to Hawaii by many waves of immigrants who came to work on Hawaii's sugarcane and then pineapple plantations. So my grandmother and my grandfather both grew up on sugarcane plantations on uh, Kauai. And that's mm -hmm. like what my ancestors came to Hawaii to do. And this is a very, very common story in Hawaii where for different reasons, people immigrated and there was a lot of trickery involved. People were like, hey, you're going to go move to Hawaii and, you know, make a lot of money on these plantations. And people were lured from Japan and the Philippines came from Portugal. Some even came from Norway. Later on, a lot came from Korea as well. And of course, Japan, Okinawa, which in Hawaii, we think of Japan and Okinawa as separate entities uh, because oh. they were countries when the immigrants came over to Hawaii. So like all of these people have been cooking together for generations. So my dad's family has been in Hawaii for five generations. When it comes down to it, like we really just think of our family as local. 
Tell us your Philadelphia story. How'd you end up in Philadelphia and and why did it become your city? I moved here from New York. I got into a program at Bryn Mawr and I moved to Philly because I don't know who's listening, but living in Philly is a lot cooler than living in Bryn Mawr. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. And then like, I mean, I felt pretty isolated the first couple of years that I was here and then started Poidog with Chris and our restaurant community, you guys have to like reiterate how wonderful it is because it's supportive. We love cooking together. We love working together and we love learning about each other's cultures. So we don't want to feel like in competition. And oh. that is so unique to Philly, I think. And I'm so proud to be part of it. I never pictured it as competition. I always thought when it comes to Philly and restauranteurs and whatnot, the diversity makes what the city is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for adding to that, Kiki. What's next? What you have anything planned? Anything up your sleeve? So whenever I go into something, I try to learn as much about it as possible. So provided everything works out and Denmark lets me in, I'm supposed to be part of the MAD Academy this summer. So MAD is the Danish word for food. And they have a program that focuses on sustainability and how to run a business that is good for the environment. So after that, like, I really hope that that helps me hone this path of where I'm going because I started this new chapter pretty haphazardly and like out of the ashes of the pandemic. I'm really open to guidance and I want to do things as responsibly as possible. Well, we can't wait to see what you do. Yeah, and where can we follow you so I can make sure I know what you're doing? Instagram is the best place. And okay. uh, my name, Kiki Aranita. And I also have a website that's mostly like food writing. And that's just my name, kikiaranita.com. Can we oh. order the sauces there? The sauces are poidogphilly.com. The sauce Instagram is poidogphilly. It was so nice to meet you. Nice to meet all of you. <laughs> I saw that there were like three people like on the schedule and I'm like, Really? We're gonna have four people on a podcast, but it worked. Oh yeah, we don't we don't over talk and when we do, watch out elbows, throw them bows. (laughs) (laughs) Has anybody eaten spam before? We'll try it. What if Kiki makes it for us? I was just gonna say we're gonna trade that spam from some poke. Poke. Do you like poke? It's big it's big in like anywhere on the beach, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's big on beach places and yeah, I'm trying to get my palate more mature. I always thought it was poke because it's spelled P-O-K-E. I wasn't taking a stab on how to pronounce it so I was just letting Laya do her thing and let her (laughs) hang her out there. I called it pokey, y'all. But wait, but when you whisper, when you whisper, I'm like, oh, doesn't she make that sound so special. All right. Okay. It's time to call (laughs) this to an end. Just reminding you that if you like us, tell your friends about us. Love and Grit is on every podcast platform. And if you have a second, rate and review us. Yes. And subscribe. Yes. Subscribe, obviously. Well, why wouldn't they subscribe? Of course they're subscribing, right? I was just making sure they did. Tell your friends to subscribe. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.